Okay, we're back to podcast here on Wednesday evening, and we are going to the book of James in chapter number four. James four. I've enjoyed the book of James. Just a good little short series that um, that we're going through. Probably just jump into First Peter right after, and um, and so we're we're getting a, a lot done through the New Testament. And so, James 4, James 4, and uh, it, it's one's, this one has very short chapters, so some of these podcasts aren't quite as long. Um, I do like the chapter-by-chapter chapter basis. Um, that's how God broke it down, and so uh, I, uh, that's how we're, we're going about, James. A few things I want to say... Um, Christmas Christmas service was wonderful, and I uh, thank God for that. And um, I appreciate your attendance, and I appreciate um, you you being faithful. The Lord's Supper is is just one of my favorite times. We don't we don't do it often, but um, and I, I think that does lend to the brevity of it. We do it a couple times a year. And um, I very, very much enjoyed yesterday. And um, so we are, uh, we, we, we just had a good time. And I'm excited about the new year. I really am. I'm excited about the study that we're going in. And I am excited about this series on David. I just some a background on that before we get into our lesson. I um I love David. I I, I read about him frequently um and and study about him. I enjoy the Psalms, which he penned most of the Psalms. So David has been a big part of my Christian life. Um then then lend to the fact that um for a preacher there is great, great material from David's life. Um, and what led to this particular series coming up was the subject of betrayal. Not that I have been recently um, that I'm aware of. I was just thinking about it. It seems like I'd, I'd heard a, a podcast on it or read read some material on on betrayal, which lent me to begin to think of David, and David, of course, was betrayed several times uh, by Saul, once several times by Saul, also his son Absalom, and so I was going to build a message on betrayal, and then the Lord just kind of led me to uh, deal with David as a whole, and I kind of kicked it around because I have dealt with David a lot when we were all at Franklin Heights. I've done a very general message on David, uh, or series on David. It was only four or five messages, uh, and I would hit everything generally. This is not going to be like that. This is going to be very in depth. Um, we, it's like I said, we'll probably take at least the second weekend before we get to Goliath, maybe even the third. There's a lot of material that we're going to deal with leading up to. Um, up to David, or up to Goliath, and then 
the Lath is one of the earliest uh, portions concerning David uh, in the Bible. So I don't want to get into too much of it. Just a brief overview to encourage you to be there for it. And then this is our last Wednesday night without in-person Bible study uh, for a while. Or I mean, we'll, we'll leave, we may go the first two weeks of January, then taper off to every other week. But uh, the extended time uh, is over uh, after tonight. We will uh, meet next week, which is the 4th. Then we will meet the following week, which I think would probably be um, like the 11th or something like that. And then we'll, we'll take a break and then go into every other week. So just remember that. And uh, let's go now to James chapter number 4. James chapter 4. Good stuff in James. Good stuff in James. All right. From whence come wars and fightings among you. All right. How practical is this book? We have dealt with favoritism in a local church. We have dealt with uh, gossip in a local church. Now we are dealing with infighting in a local church. How many of us have been around churches where there's a lot of infighting? Okay disagreements, contentions, can't get along. Well, let me show you why. From whence come wars and fightings among you? So this tells us where it's coming from, why it happens. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Um, to lust means it doesn't, we typically think of lust in the physical, sexual sensual sense that's not always confined to that and here's here's what I mean um, here in, in the word of God lust would simply mean to set your affections on uh, something other than God to, to desire things other than God and so the reason there's infighting in churches is because people set their lusts their desires on things other than God. They may have it on authority. They may have it on having their way. Um, a vast, vast array of issues or ways that, that we see that. Uh, but it comes from people wanting their own way. So verse 1, chapter 4, starts out and says that the reason wars and fightings come among the people is because people lust for what they want. There's an inherent desire for their needs, their wants. Then verse 2, ye lust and have not. So you desire it, but you don't even get it. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. <clears throat> so what does that tell us? It tells us instead of fighting, instead of bickering, instead of arguing, instead of contentions, just ask God. And if God don't let it happen, then it wasn't his will, so quit fighting about it all the time. I've seen church fights, people fighting one another over what they wanted when they should have been praying the entire time 
letting God handle whatever it was and however it was he wanted it. And if it didn't happen, then it wasn't his will. But for people to fight and to manipulate is sinful, it's wrong, and God is not anywhere near that. So, you lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Now, I like verse 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. In other words, um, when you do pray, you get nothing because you pray with the wrong motive, namely to add your own pleasures. So when you pray and you don't get the desired prayer, you don't get the desired answer, that's because the wrong motive was behind your prayer, meaning you were praying for your own pleasure. You were praying for your own will. You were praying for what you desire. God teaches us that we're to pray for his will. Pray in his will. And that teaches us a ton. James, believe it or not, teaches a ton to us about our prayer lives. So he's saying you don't get what you want because you you don't even ask. And when you do ask, you're asking because it's got to do with your inward desire, not the will of God. Say, I don't know, it's what's on my mind. So you take a church, for example. They're fighting over a pastor. One group wants what they want. Another group wants what they want. So what they pray the entire time is, Lord, let it happen like this. Lord, let it happen like this. God says you don't get what you want because you don't pray, let my will be done. Let my will be done. That should always be prayed in a church. That should always be prayed in your life. Let my will be done. You'll get what you what you desire then. Verse number uh, three, you ask and receive because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own or your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? So the term adultery here, it's not necessarily related to, to physical adultery, which it, it could be. Um, it's not excluding physical adultery, but it's primarily talking about uh, cheating on God. I remember Percy Ray, a great Baptist preacher of years gone by, used to preach a fantastic, famous message on cheating on God. And that's the context here. It's not necessarily talking about sexual or physical adultery. It's talking about um, not being concerned with God nor His will. And the Bible says here, Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enemy with God. In other words, when you love the world more than you love God, you're committing spiritual adultery on God. And if you're a friend with the world, then you are an enemy of God. That's what enmity means. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty plain talk. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. What a verse. I have quoted that verse. Uh, 
singers used to sing that. Brother Tom Hayes wrote a song about it. He giveth more grace. Grace to cross the river. Uh, grace to face forever. Giveth new grace, more grace. So James lets us know here that we're a mess. We can have the wrong motive. We can have the wrong desires. We might not always do what's right, but he giveth more grace. Hallelujah. More grace. Isn't that good? He giveth more grace. That's Man, that, that encourages me because there's times when I've needed more grace. I need grace in my life. I need more grace than than I do anything else. That that's the truth. I I have needs like anyone else and desires like anyone else. But what I need more than anything in my life is more grace. Every day I need more grace. So keep that in mind. Bear that in mind. Remember that that the grace you need is the grace that God gives. He giveth more grace. He knows what grace we need. He knows how much grace we need. He knows when we need that grace. He giveth more grace. And what a great verse. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So if we come to him prideful, we come to him arrogant, I remember, and in, in, uh, it's not wrong because I overheard it. I couldn't help but hear it. We was praying right beside each other. And I remember going to the altar one time, young Christian, and uh, you can't ever go to the altar too much. <clears throat> and I remember a fellow praying beside of me. He was praying audibly. He was praying loud. I typically don't when I, when I go publicly and pray like that. And you can, it's fine. But he was praying to a place that we could hear him. And he got down to pray. And the the guy was kind of haughty and cocky and prideful anyway. And as he's praying, he's going, Lord, you know I do this. And Lord, you know I've been doing this. And Lord, it just, what he was doing is he was exalting himself to God as if he was reminding God of how wonderful he was, how hard he worked, how worthy he was to get his prayer answered. Okay? Now, do you remember do you remember what God accepted? He accepted the uh, you know, the, the Syrophoenician woman who said, Lord, I don't deserve anything. Just give me the crumbs from the master's table. And, and the Lord said, alright, you, you've got what you desire. What do you mean, preacher? When we come to God, this is, this is in the Bible. This is James teaching us about prayer. When we pray to God, the key to our prayer is coming in complete humility. I don't deserve an answer. I don't deserve you to do this. I don't deserve you to work in my life. I don't deserve this blessing. I don't deserve this prayer request. I don't deserve you to do this, but I am asking. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you get prayers answered. And it's all right here. Look, after the Bible says in verse 6 of James 4, he giveth more grace, 
Then it says, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. So to resist would be literally push back. He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you submit to God, and you push the devil away. And if you do that, he will flee. He has to. So when the devil's on your trail, the Bible says resist him, to push him away in, in the Spirit of God, and he will flee. Verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. That's wonderful. That's a great verse. You draw closer to him. I ask you this question. How many of you out there that are listening to me want to be closer to God? If you want to be closer to God, then that Bible teaches you draw near to him and then he makes his move towards you. Do you remember the prodigal son? prodigal son took that step towards the father's house and when he took that step towards the father's house, the Bible said that the father ran to him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. So, therein is that verse. You draw near to God. You make the step towards God and he will draw nigh or near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye filthy sinners, so you come to God clean. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You come to God with integrity. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That's what God wants to do. He wants to take your weeping, your mourning, your affliction and turn it into laughing and joy and that used to be heavy. Humble yourselves, verse 10, back to that, in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If you will humble yourselves, the Bible says that God will lift us up. Verse 11, I love this. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? In other words, keep your mouth off of other people. How many times do you see that in the Bible? I can tell you countless times we have read scripture, read lessons, went through verses, and it continually says to keep your mouth off of other people. God detests that. He hates that. He doesn't want anything to do with that. He resists that. He, he flees from you when you do that. It's so simple. It's so plain. It's such a clear-cut reality in the Bible. Quit talking about other people in the form of negativity. If you're talking about anyone else, you should be doing so in a manner of building them up and edifying God. Period. End of story. No two ways about it. No explaining it away. No prayer request that someone has to know about if it's going to paint someone in a negative light plain and simple quit talking about other people if you don't God will stay away from you if you decide you want to repent and not talk about other people and notice it is directly tied into our humility and our pride those that are prideful have problems talking about other people those that have no pride 
those that walk in humility typically don't talk about other people. Plain as the nose on your face. Verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow he will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? So, it's so beautiful. That's a great verse. We, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I got, a me- I got many messages on that about the brevity of life. Have you ever seen a vapor come out of an old tea picture or the, the, um, uh, the tea kettles or the coffee kettles, hot water kettles that we used to put on the stove? And do you remember how it would come out of the kettle? It would come out at that little bitty hole, very strong, or on a canner, a pressure canner. It comes out very strong and vibrant, but as it begins to reach the ceiling, it's just, there's no cutoff line. It just begins to disappear. Well, that's our lives. That's how God gives the analogy of our lives. He says, it is a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. So our lives start out strong and vibrant, but before you know it, we're just not here anymore. God has taken us home. That's the scriptures. Look, verse number 14 of James 4. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That's good practical teaching right there. Learn to say, Lord willing. I'll be there tomorrow, Lord willing. I will, by God, do this, Lord willing. Why? Because you might be dead. You might be in heaven. You might not be here to do it. You want to keep your word, even if you're if if you if you go to heaven. So I'll do that tomorrow, Lord willing. You want to see me tomorrow? You hey, well look, Lord willing, I'll be back to church on Sunday. Lord willing. You used to hear old timers say Lord willing all the time, didn't you? You see how much we take the Lord out of our vernacular, out of our out of our everyday language that the old timers used to keep in their language. Old timers used to say all the time, we'll do that Lord willing. But look, verse fifteen, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. Last verse in this chapter. There's so much in James chapter 4. I'm telling you, you could go on about this for hours. So much here. This is called the sin of omission. In other words, we've got sins of commission. We know all them. We could talk, preach for hours on all them, you know. But this is a sin of omission, a sin of something that you should have done that you didn't do. God says that's also sin, okay? Give to God. Give to the church. Be a blessing to someone. God wants you to to render a service or a benefit to someone. You choose not to do it. It's sin, okay? God tells you in the scriptures to go and make peace with the person. You don't do it. That's a sin. You say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. No, God tells you to go make peace with that person. 
Should you choose not to do it, it is sin. That is the sin of omission. It is here in James 4 and 17. People think that it's only sin when they do something actively wrong. But there's also sins where you should have done something that you did not do and it's still sin. Alts, grudges, problems with each other. So if the Bible teaches us that if you know that someone has a problem with you, you're supposed to go to them and make it right and you choose not to do it, then you didn't sin committing or with, with, the, with an active or an action. You sinned a sin of omission. You knew that you were supposed to do it, and you didn't do it. So the Bible's clear on that. That's the last verse in James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him... It is sin. All right, that has been the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. We've got one more chapter in James, which is a longer chapter. It may be a two-parter. Then we'll go into 1 Peter. All right, I hope you have a great night. Sunday services in in, uh, David's life, and then we will meet Uh, on Wednesday night at the coffee shop next week, January the 4th. Good night. God bless. I love you all.